What's up everyone? I'm Josh Aarons and this is the Israel Collective Podcast. Today I'm talking with Jessica Marzuko, Director of Christians United for Israel's College Campus Program. And in her most recent research, she's found some truly inspiring stories of courage and moral clarity during the Holocaust. We're talking about everyday people who did the right thing and saved thousands of lives. Jessica shares these stories and some great insight into what motivated these extraordinary men and women and how we can apply that to our lives today. Check it out. So Jessica, thanks so much for being with us on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm so excited to hear more from you about this because you're working on a project for Christians United for Israel called the Irving Roth Fellowship. And it's in honor of our friend Irving, who is a survivor of the Holocaust. And he recently passed away, but he had this dream and this vision that he got to share with hundreds of thousands of people, um, young students in particular, about the importance of understanding what happened in the Holocaust, understanding what's happening today, and how we can do our part to counteract it as young people, as Christians, as people who are concerned about different uh, patterns that we see today. Um, and so you're doing this research on the fellowship that continues to educate people on his work. And these stories that you're finding are just beautiful stories of people who, even though they were under extreme social pressure, bucked the trend and decided to do the right thing and to put their own lives, their own livelihoods at risk and protect their Jewish neighbors when they were being uh, persecuted, when they were being um, taken to concentration camps and so on. So I would like to hear, and I'd like our audience to hear more from you about some of these stories. What are you finding? And, and dig a little deeper into what motivated these people to do something different. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that really impressed me with Irving was his firsthand account. And as we know in Kufi and we know in general, we're losing witnesses to the Holocaust survivors and rescuers. They're up in their 90s. A lot of the Holocaust survivors that we hear of, hear from today were children or their second generation survivors or they fled. But to hear his firsthand account is what was so powerful. And we are millennials, Gen Z. We're human beings and story is what connects with us. Stories what helps us understand something so mind-numbing as six million Jews killed in the Holocaust. That is a statistic. But if you hear a story, that's what's truly powerful. And what I'm what I'm coming across as I do this Holocaust research for the Irving Roth Fellowship for Kufi is of course how incredibly dark the Holocaust was, how brutal, how inhumane, how how monstrous humanity can be. But what I am continually struck by is in the absolute darkest pit of evil, there is light. And those stories are what I am personally clinging to as I sort through so much information about the Holocaust that is truly emotionally and mentally overwhelming. These stories of rescue, of hope, are so incredible I wish we could shout them from the housetops because they are something to be remembered. They're something to inspire us. And they're something that we can really emulate in the world right now. 
particularly when the Jewish people are again facing being singled out and discriminated against and physically attacked and lied about and maligned, we can really apply this to our lives today. Wow, that's really good. And would you say in your research and finding these stories, I want to dig into more specific stories too, because each one is so fascinating mm -hmm. and different in its own way. Would you say there, though, that there is a common thread between all of them, like something that animated each person in a similar way? You know, that's a really interesting question because some were devout Christians, some were, you know, Europe was a, it was a Christian region. Um, some were nominal Christians, some were Japanese. And I would say what motivated most of what uh, the Jewish community calls the righteous Gentiles or the righteous among the nations, those who, who rescued and saved Jewish men, women, and children during the Holocaust was their, their understanding that we are human beings and we're all the same at the end of the day. And that the different, the points of differentiation that the Nazis tried to put on the nations of Europe that fell to Hitler, they refused. They refused to say, you are different than me, but instead said, you are my brother and I'm going to help you as I would help any other human being. So I would say if there was any common thread, that would be it. For those who are motivated because of the teachings of Jesus, they're very, very, very vocal and explicit that that was their motivation, and many were. But uh, the baseline of humanity, I would say, is the common thread. Hmm. So what would you say would make someone different than, say, their neighbor who maybe they had, maybe they considered themselves mm. a Christian? Oh, so good. Why did they act and the others didn't? What I'm seeing is small decisions throughout their entire life. Mm. When you come to a pivotal, huge decision in your life that other people will see, that is the watershed moment. If you have not been making small decisions for decades, for years, to do the right thing, even controlling your thoughts, as Jesus said, uh, sin begins in the heart, you know, for instance, he said, adultery begins in the heart. Everything begins in your thoughts. And these people lived an upstanding life and they made decisions where their character would be built, hard decisions. So that moment when it was, do I turn my Jewish neighbor over to the Gestapo? That wasn't, a, you know... A make or break moment. They had already built that fabric into their character throughout their entire life. So that was just a natural outworking of who they already were. So when you see what these, these folks did, it, you're seeing them. You're not seeing a moment of their life. You're seeing them. Hmm. Wow. And the, the accumulation of, of years and decades of hard work and character building and daily choices. Mm -hmm. reading the Bible, for example, mm -hmm. really being conversant with Scripture, having thought through the different values and ideas that bring you to that moment and when you're prepared to meet it rather than stand to the side and kind of wring your hands or try to stay under the radar and not make waves mm -hmm. and just get through it. That's, that's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. So when, let's go ahead. Well, I would like to just jump right into a story. Yeah. So one of my favorite stories of rescue, of character, is King Christian of Denmark. This gentleman really strengthened 
the backbone of an entire nation by mm. the stand that he personally took against Hitler. When Hitler was sweeping across Europe and country after country was falling to Nazi control, uh, and Hitler approached King Christian and said, turn, turn over your Jews, give us your Jews. You know, King Christian, he could read the writing on the wall. He knew where, he knew where his citizens who were Jewish would be headed. And it definitely wasn't to, you know, a vacation. He refused to turn his Jews over, the Jews of Denmark, the Danish Jews, to Hitler. And when Hitler said, I want all of the Danish Jews to wear the badge, the identifying badge, the Star of David, the yellow cloth star, to identify them and separate them psychologically, economically from the rest of the community in, in Denmark, he said, mm, no, no. And there's a legend, there's an incredible legend about King Christian that is so moving. Uh, when Hitler demanded they wear the Jewish star of what he intended to be shame, the legend is that King Christian himself put the Jewish star on his own coat and rode oh. through the city, through the cities of, of Denmark. And his people saw, okay, we're all, today we're all Jewish. But he so emboldened his own people that the Danes staged a daring midnight fl flotilla. They gathered all the boats around Denmark. They gathered all of their Jewish friends and neighbors, shopkeepers, mothers, old men, old women, and they smuggled the Jews of Denmark to safety in the middle of the night. So when Hitler came a-knocking, trying to gather up the Jews, there weren't any. And this is one of my one of my favorite stories because it shows what I think it's a quote of Billy Graham that when a bold man takes a stand, the spines of all others stiffen. Mm -hmm. Because of his leadership, an entire nation, an entire nation did the right thing. When all of the surrounding nations were succumbing to pressure and evil, mm -hmm. maybe they didn't want to do that. Maybe they didn't want to turn over their friends, but they did. Maybe they didn't want to alienate the Jewish people in their countries, but they did. So his influence and the influence we have, this speaks so powerfully to what one person can do. Wow, what a story. And in his case, he's, he's a king, so he has a lot of influence. Um, I know there are other stories of people who were perhaps more everyday and yet just as essential um, in the process of saving their Jewish members, mem saving their Jewish neighbors, mm -hmm. um, is there anyone that comes to mind a story? You know, that's more? a really important point because sorting through the stories of righteous Gentiles and uh, everyone knows about Schindler. Everyone knows. If you don't, he he had a factory and he worked with the German officials to get more folks into his factory and rescue them from the concentration camp Auschwitz. And through his efforts, he saved, uh, I think, 1,500 Jewish lives. Everyone knows about the big, big stories. But what I'm coming across is it doesn't matter if someone was a public official or a peasant. What mattered was they did something. There are so many stories and I love, I love that 
um, Israel's Holocaust Museum in, in Jerusalem, Yad Vashem, I love that they honor the most obscure peasant to a mother, to even children. It's not just the people who saved thousands. It's the people who hid throughout the entire war a Jewish family in their root cellar. It's the, the stories of the peasants who made sure that the children of their neighbors who were taken to a concentration camp, that their children were safe and raised as if they were their own and even hidden in, in plain sight, hmm. bringing them to the public square as if they were their own children. Uh, all of these stories of the small act, acts of rescue built into so many people being saved from the Holocaust. And one thing I, I'm seeing, including in the life of Irving Roth, was that every person that I've researched who did survive the Holocaust as a Jewish man, woman, or child, somewhere in their story, there was an act of rescue. I'm sure there are stories where that didn't happen, but I've not come across them yet. And it could be an act of rescue as, quote, small as a shopkeeper who, when someone comes in with their ration book trying to order or, or, or buy more meat than that is rationed to their household, and the shopkeeper should report them to the Gestapo because that suggests there's more people in the household then their ration book is saying, which suggests a Jew's in hiding, for that shopkeeper to not alert the Gestapo and instead give them more food, that's an act of rescue. In hmm. every single story of anyone who did survive the Holocaust, there are those stories. For Irving, in particular, it was just several, several. Um, his parents, specifically, his father was in... Uh, Budapest hospital and he was extremely ill in a coma and the nurse there who was a Christian because of her direct act of rescue of bringing Irving Roth's parents to her home and concealing them in her tiny apartment that she shared with her daughter and her son-in-law who was a soldier who was uh, in the Nazi army Whoa. And uh, they made him keep his mouth shut. But because of her, her direct actions, Irving Roth's parents survived the Holocaust. Wow. And even tiny acts of rescue of um, people sharing bread with Irving. Even in the concentration camp, there were acts of rescue. Um, there was so many instances, and it was always someone did something. And that's the same for today. I, there's a story of a woman named Irina Sendler. Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, this is the name of a hero. Memorize this name. Her name is Irina Sendler. She was a nurse and she lived in Poland. And when the Nazis gathered the Jews of Poland and put them in the Warsaw Ghetto, Irina Sendler did not sit idly by and become a bystander and a witness to brutality. She started very cunningly and shrewdly moving towards setting herself up for rescue. And what she did was pull strings so that she could get into the Warsaw Ghetto 
as a nurse, justifying mm. it by saying we don't want, you know, it's closed quarters. At one point, I think, I think there were, I don't know if it was 400,000 went through the Warsaw Ghetto or the, in there at the same time, but this was incredibly crowded situations. I do know it was on average 11 people in a room sleeping. Mm. So she justified her presence in the Warsaw Ghetto to examine if disease would get past the ghetto and infect the rest of the population of Warsaw. Mm. So she would go into this ghetto and she began smuggling Jewish children out. She wow. used laundry baskets. She used toolboxes with false bottoms. She even used coffins. She used flour sacks and she smuggled over 2,500 Jewish children out of the Warsaw Ghetto. Wow. Directly saving their lives because the Warsaw Ghetto was, quote, liquidated and everyone was sent to a extermination camp, work camp, or concentration camp. But this woman... Irina Sendler is a hero and she saved each and every name of every single every single child that she saved and she kept them on little strips of paper and buried them underneath a tree in her neighbor's yard so that they could track where all these children went. So an incredible woman who was eventually betrayed and tortured by the Nazis. But this beautiful human being did not betray who was hiding the children, the children's names, or where they went. And she lived to the ripe old age of, I think, in her 90s. And uh, she is an incredible example of what it looks like. And when she was uh, approached later and said, you are a hero, she said, I am no hero. Every day, I am reminded of how much more I could have done. And this is someone who saved 2,500 children. And wow! if only there were more of her. Wow, that's an incredible story. One person saving over 2,500 children, presumably one by one. Incredible. And how many people must have helped in that process mm-hmm. when she got them out of the... Yes, you know what she said, Josh? She said of all 2,500 children that she saved... She, she never had one person ever refuse to hide a child. Wow. So that's, you know, say it's a, a couple or a family. That's over 5,000 people who did not turn down hiding a child. And she hid, she hid many in convents and um, they passed as Catholic during the war for their own protection. She sent them to so many households as visiting cousins and just very creative. That's another thing that's struck me is the the creativity of rescue. There's wow. this story of doctors in mm-hmm. Italy when the Jewish ghetto outside of Rome was starting to be surrounded by the Gestapo and they were gathering up the Jewish Italian citizens. They fled to a Catholic hospital just outside of Rome. The Jewish... Um, men, women, and children who were fleeing. And these Italian doctors took a look at these folks and they immediately started diagnosing them with Syndrome K. What is Syndrome K, you may ask? So they made it up. It's a non-existent, it's a non-existent disease. They made up Syndrome K to note 
who the patients, quote, patients were in the hospital who were Jewish, who would then be put in the highly contagious ward so that when the Nazi soldiers came to inspect the hospital, they were told this is super deadly, you're going to get syndrome pay, and you probably will die. So obviously this ward was neglected and passed over time after time after time, where the wow. Jewish patients were then preserved. So the, the creativity of the rescue is also amazing. Yeah, and that one has a little bit of a, a funny element too, right? Because they, they chose the letter K for kind of a funny reason. This is this is pretty bold of them, right? Yes, that's right. It was after they chose K in reference to the last name of Albert Kessling, a Nazi commander overseeing the occupation of Rome. So it was even <laughs> it was even an inside joke of how Wow. Almost yeah. That's fascinating. Yes, and and as you said, it captures the the creativity and the innovation of it and really the, the, the open rebellion of it, the you know, the sort of naming it after the, the Nazi um, uh, leader over the region. Mm -hmm. uh, just incredible. And the, the courage that you would have to have and the, the risk that you are taking, like you said, Irina Sendler was tortured. Mm -hmm. It was not like you didn't just get a slap on the wrist for something like this. You could be tortured, you could be killed, you could be put in a concentration camp yourself. Um, it means they they took this risk and they made this choice at great, great personal risk. So to them, everything else in their life, like this, this was the, the most important thing that they felt they needed to do in their life. And if they didn't, then they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. I think that's, that's absolutely remarkable. You know what I think it is? I think it's for the Christians in particular, and I'm, I'm going to share a story in just a minute. But what I'm seeing is that for the Christian rescuers in particular, they had an eternal mindset. Mm, they knew this life wasn't all there is. They knew that they're standing in the community, their, their wealth, their success, their promotion. It didn't matter. What mattered was doing the right thing. And one day, knowing that God would say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Their eternal mindset and not holding their life so dear, which we're, which we're um, instructed to do. Yeah, very, in the Bible. very prevalent. Yeah. They knew this wasn't all there is, and when we think this is all there is, of course you're going to take the selfish, selfish, self-preservation route. It's scary to do the right thing. But I want to talk a minute about a, a man named Maximilian Colby. He was a uh, Franciscan priest from Poland, and he, when he was a child, uh, he had a vision. There, he was presented with two crowns: a white one for purity and a red one for martyrdom. And he was asked to choose, and he said, "I will take both." Mm. And take both he did, and he became a Franciscan priest who, through the course of his efforts to rescue, rescued. 2,000 Jews from persecution. Wow. He was eventually arrested by the German Gestapo and imprisoned in a concentration camp and transferred to Auschwitz. While he was a prisoner, and this is the brutality that happened in concentration camps all the time, there was a prisoner who escaped 
allegedly escaped. Mm -hmm. So as punishment and to strike fear in the hearts of the rest of the, the imprisoned people, they rounded up 10 random Jewish inmates to mm. execute, mm. to say, hey, you tried again, innocent people will die immediately. And uh, Father Kolbe was not selected, and he was in the line with these 10 random men to be executed. And one of the prisoners was extremely afraid of dying, leaving his family behind. And Father Kolbe stepped forward and he said, I will take his place. Wow. I will trade places with this man. And he was immediately swapped out and he was executed wow. in the place of this gentleman. So he not only spent years rescuing uh, Jewish men, women, and children during the Holocaust, but he also took someone's, a very specific person's place of execution in Auschwitz. So when you say it costs people, it costs people. It costs you and I to do the right thing. And I think in the West, sometimes if we're given pushback on social media or we're mocked or we're looked down on, whatever, that is... That's a form of pushback that we need to embrace. It is, it's a beautiful thing. Hmm. And if what we're doing is done out of love and we receive hate, that is an act of worship to God. And that strengthens us for the harder decisions and the more important things that we are called to do in the future. And we all are. Yeah, so good. Something you said that just blew my mind was the distinction between living for this life and living for eternity. The power of that one idea to define your choices, how you live every moment of your life, how your life plays out. I found it so interesting that the more you try to live for this life, the more it slips away from you and you don't even you don't even get what you're looking for and what you're pursuing. And yet so many areas of our culture, whether it's music or films or what have you are saying this is all there is so get everything you can and avoid conflict avoid anything that's going to get in the way of you sort of just kind of kicking back and um enjoying your life it doesn't work if you pursue that you will get the exact opposite and yet when you live for eternity yes it can be hard yes it can be you will suffer you will make sacrifices but you know that your life has meaning and purpose and that you weren't just somebody who who just kind of hung out on the planet and, you know, tried to drink as many margaritas on the beach as possible. You're somebody who is going to go down in history as a person that recognized how much power each individual actually has to save thousands of lives, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. And you don't, you don't necessarily have to be a king. It, it helps, mm -hmm. but you can be anybody. And you could just do one small thing, like overlooking... A ration card that looks a little suspicious. Mm -hmm. um, that's a that's a life saving act. That's good. Um, and and so when we bring it to the present day, um, whether you're a young Christian student, I know Jessica, that's your the primary group that you work with. Mm -hmm. Really, any individual interested in in living that kind of eternity focused life, how would you say these stories inspire you in your life today? And how would you tell young people to apply it i think it it all always boils down to making those small decisions every single day that's mm -hmm. how that's how 
I apply it and that's how I encourage young Christians to apply it. You will not be strong enough for a incredibly difficult decision one day unless you are choosing the right path little by little every single day today now are you are you gossiping about someone are you bad-mouthing someone are you giving into peer pressure to get through this moment which is extremely difficult for college students um, that weakens you that makes you less able to stand tomorrow and the, the the quicker that you can begin making the right decisions the stronger you will be tomorrow the stronger you'll be a week from now we do not know what our futures hold we do not know what will be asked of us we do not know but we can prepare we can strengthen ourselves through scripture through prayer through applying scripture and living it and obeying it and becoming the men and women of character, of endurance, of perseverance, of boldness that God can depend on to be Irina Sendlers, to be the people who will do great things because they know their God. That's a, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, they will do great, those who know their God will do great exploits. So exciting. It's an adventure story, but the caveat there is those who know their God. It's yeah. not, you know, the ones who are in CrossFit. Nothing against CrossFit. I wish I was in it. <laughs> but <laughs> it's it's not the ones who are the most impressive or the loudest or able to speak in front of a crowd or able to run a multi-million dollar business. It's those who know their God. Mm, this good. could be anybody. This could be the grandmother on her knees before an open Bible praying for her grandchildren she is 100% capable and equipped to do these incredible acts of rescue. It's it's so cool, the kingdom of God, and how it's so different than the culture and value system of today, and how it's open to everyone. God is no respecter of persons. We all, we all are capable of great things. And how it inspires me and how I apply it to students is to encourage them in knowing that Whatever God has asked you to do, he will equip you to do. And he will ask you to do it in stages based on where you are at. So mm -hmm. he's not going to ask you to, to do something beyond where you're able at that moment. But he will ask you to obey and not send that, you know, curt, nasty text or, <laughs> or you know, look at her shoes. Like, that's, yeah. that's what we're asked to do in, in obedience to God. And that makes us bold and that makes us strong. That's great. You're right. And it is, it's every day, little by little. And I even read a study that confirmed that if you just push yourself and go out of your comfort zone just a little bit every day or every week on something, that's the best pathway to growth. Because before you know it, your comfort zone is going to be way further out in whatever it is that you're trying to do. Because you just did a little bit every day, just a little bit more, one mm -hmm. more, you know, one more mm -hmm. push-up or whatever push-ups are for that's you. Right. That's right. Um, you just keep going. You just keep doing it. Mm -hmm. and, and I love the, these college students you work with, Jessica. I've gotten to meet a lot of them. And I love them because, again, they see they're not just in college to, to get A's and to, you know, have a great career and all that. And all that's great. But they understand that they're there for much more than that mm -hmm. and for a deeper purpose than that. Mm -hmm. Because I think 
really in any era, in any time period, in any place on the planet, every life has those moments that come where you, you didn't know this moment was coming, but it's a moment where you have to make a decision and sometimes you have to act very quickly. And so when you're prepared, when you're prayed up, when you've read your scripture, then you're able to make the correct choice when the time comes and the choice saves lives and goes on into eternity. Mm-hmm. So That's right. Man, Jessica, thank you so much for sharing these stories with us. Uh, very, very inspiring. Any, any takeaways um, as, we, uh, as we go out and live our lives in the world? And um, actually, we should also talk about, let's talk about some of the anti-Semitism that exists today. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I think a couple instances of, of the anti-Semitic violence that's taken place even in our own nation in New York, L.A., um, just insane. The, let's talk about the cafe attack on Jewish people in L.A. Mm-hmm. There was a a group of people who hate Israel and hate the Jewish people. And to differentiate between Israel and the Jewish people is like trying to separate a banana peel from the banana. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's not two separate things. Um they started asking this group of people, are you Jewish? And then started attacking them verbally and physically. Mm. Uh, This is happening on our own soil. This is not something from 1939. It's not something happening in France, which it happens frequently in France of Jewish people attacked. Um, This happened in LA. And Mm -hmm. also a bit of light here. There was a gentleman with the with the the jewish uh, people who were attacked who was a lebanese christian Hmm. and he stood up and took physical blows wow to keep them from attacking his jewish friends this is he's a he's a modern day righteous among the nations he he took physical blows because he knew how evil and wrong what was happening was and yeah, would you say the attack in L.A. and the many in our country and in the West that are in a similar vein today, these modern-day attacks on Jewish people, how are they connected to um, Hitler's attack on, on Jewish people, for example? Is there a connection between what happened in World War II and and what's going on today? Mm, such a multi-layered question and answer. Um Yes, it, with the yeah. with the propaganda that hot, that Hitler put forth to make people believe the Jewish people were so uniquely different, inherently different, because of all the suffering of the German people, the propaganda campaign um, was incredibly powerful. Never underestimate propaganda, and what we see in the media today of Israel is just the reason for all of the conflict in the Middle East absolute bunk Israel's what's right in the Middle East mm-hmm. if if wow if what Israel brought to that region were were all over it, <laughs> women entrepreneurship the safety of minority minorities the safety of all religions the protection of the weak the innocent the disenfranchised would be across the board in the Middle East instead of what we have which is rampant slaughter of Christians, of actually 
Muslims. Muslims are being slaughtered left and right by Muslim ex extremists. Mm -hmm. We would have a completely different Middle East. But back to the point, it is a, a propaganda campaign. We see it in the media. We see it on campus. And it's outrageous how the lies are so grand. You see Israel with their Judeo-Christian values. Everything I had just listed, the protection of religious minorities, racial minorities, the elevation of and opportunities that William, that women have mm -hmm. in the Middle East. Women are flying fighter jets in Israel and Saudi Arabia just let women drive like five minutes ago. Like literally. Right. Like literally. It's 2021. I think women were given the right to drive last year. Right. So mm -hmm. it's... The lies against Israel and the Jewish people are, again, so outrageous. And... Um, I see that as a st uh, striking similarity. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, it, it sounds like all of that hatred that was unleashed by Hitler and his, you know, the Nazis and his collaborators and all of that, it didn't just go away once Hitler was defeated militarily because the, the propaganda, mm -hmm. the hatred, the echo of all of that was still there in many people's hearts and continued. And I know that um, a lot of, the countries today that continue to repeat anti-Semitic things, they, it's almost straight out of Hitler's playbook. And even their striking similarity in the cartoons, the posters, the edu you know, the so-called educational material, the materials in the schools, they all look and sound and feel exactly like mm. what Hitler was doing. And uh, for example, I know Mein Kampf, the book that Hitler wrote, was a bestseller in Egypt. And uh, there are many, mm -hmm. many lovely people in Egypt. I've personally been there, and it's it's a wonderful country. But there is an element there that is continuing this tradition, um, this extremist element, and that is happening in, in Lebanon, in Syria, in countries, all basically almost any bordering country in the Middle East around Israel. There's an element that has been exposed to that kind of propaganda, and it has real ramifications, and that kind of propaganda in perhaps a more um, a more palatable form it's been sort of repackaged and reworked is being pushed into our college campuses and then that makes its way into the news media which you talked about it makes its way into the perceptions and the policies mm -hmm. that um, our leadership make and so it's so extremely important to understand how that works and that the work of defeating it is not done and it's those everyday things that we can all do to share the truth, um, to stand up for our Jewish neighbors and friends, um, whether it's in our neighborhood um, or on our college campus or wherever. It's still extremely um, time sensitive and important. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think just circling back to your question a couple minutes ago of a main takeaway or putting it in a nutshell of, of everything that I've been seeing in the research about the Holocaust, what led up to the Holocaust, um, the, the light in, in such a dark period of history, I think our takeaway, the lesson that I'm applying to myself is pay attention. Mm -hmm. Pay attention. Keep your eyes open. There's a lot of things to mesmerize us and distract us and outrage us and pit us against each other um, for reasons that are, at the end of the day, um, serious, 
for the here and now, but what are you going to want to have left one day when you leave this world? You mm -hmm. know, you know, statistics show a hundred out of a hundred die. So that's <laughs> true. I'm a very, I'm a very, uh, so I'm a far, very yeah. <laughs> literal person, but very black and white. But I always look toward okay, this is. This rodeo will wrap up one day, to quote my dad. This rodeo will wrap up. What are you going to want to look back on? Are you going to want to look back on being popular? Being, um, you know, whatever, Instagram famous, which is like being rich in Monopoly. Just kidding. But, <laughs> like, do you want that legacy? Or do you want to know that you stood strong in all that hell could throw at you? Because we stand on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. Like, do you want that? Or do you want to be liked? What you know, you pick. That's the great thing about free will. You can pick. But <laughs> what is it that you're going to really want your legacy on this earth to be? Because you can't have both. You can't have both. Anyone who ever did anything right wasn't popular. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you're going to, you know, lose all your friends but your mom. But I am saying... <laughs> It will cost you something. And if you go in paying attention and knowing there's a price tag on doing the right thing, God can do great things in you and through you. Yeah, that's so well said. So if you are a young Christian college student in particular, because Jessica works with Christian college students across the nation to help them bring this message of, of really truth and hope and inspiration. To their college campuses, Jessica, where would you where would you direct these young people to go? To go to more? yeah, go to kufinecampus.org. Connect with us, email us. We want to get you plugged in. Want to get you educated, encouraged, mentored, and to one of our incredible conferences and a part of the Kufi and Campus family because we are we're even closer than ever during the shutdowns of COVID, and uh, it's been really hard for young people, especially. Um, my heart goes out to them. They have more pressure on them than I think any other generation in the history of the world. They're completely analyzed on social media. Um, mm -hmm. It's just really hard for them. And Kufi Campus is not only a place where you can stand up and speak out for something incredibly just and right, but it's a place where you belong and you have a friend. I'm your first friend at Kufi Campus. So get involved and uh, we'll reach out and you'll be Excellent. So well said, Jessica. Thank you again for being with us and sharing these incredible stories with us. Yeah, happy to be here. The Israel Collective is an initiative of Christians United for Israel. To learn more about us, head to israelcollective.org, follow our Instagram, and if you want to get active and get involved, check out Christians United for Israel at cufi.org. We've got amazing educational resources, daily updates and emails, and just a ton of ways to learn, take action, make friends, and make a difference. There's a place for everyone at Kufi, so head on over. Thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoyed that, and we'll see you next time.